Hey there, people. Thrilled to have you back for another episode of the podcast. There was a ton of feedback last week on the question I posed to everyone about ad placement. It seems that the overwhelming majority of listeners prefer to hear the ads at the beginning. So thanks for that. And I will continue doing it the same way I've been doing all along. Podcasts are a strange platform. There's seemingly an endless way you can format or record and produce them. Um, But no matter what you do, they always end up in audio format funneled straight into your head via your ears. And I've thought about changing up my format from time to time, but since this really isn't a revenue generating business for me, I like to keep it as streamlined as possible. Who knows though, um, maybe I'll start a second podcast that's more freewheeling without the Edmonton Association prereqs. Um, if I did start a more casual podcast, perhaps with a co-host, who are some people you'd like to hear from? Let me know. I want to know. Slide into those DMs of mine or email me at shane.4 at gmail.com. Anyway, back to this podcast, City of Champions, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Go check out albertapodcastnetwork.com for a great selection of Alberta-made podcasts on pretty much any topic you could imagine. Uh, something there definitely for everybody. This week, I was finally able to link up with a guy who I've been really looking forward to chatting with for some time now. Uh, he's a homegrown, self-made entrepreneurial success story in the music and event promotion industry. Chances are you've gone to one of the events that his company, Budang, has thrown at some point in the last 20 years. Yes, he's been doing this for 20 years. Uh, This guy, of course, is Viet Nguyen. And in addition to throwing the best events in the city, he also founded a music booking app about two years ago that's changing the way business is done between artist and venue, streamlining the process and making life easier for everybody involved. Uh, They call that disrupting in a good way. Uh, In addition to his two full-time jobs, Viet coaches some of the most kick-ass classes at Champs Box Studio. Champs Box Studio? Champs Boxing Studio. Sorry, Jelena. I've experienced one for myself, um, and I really highly recommend checking it out for a tough but fun workout. Uh, He's also been known to hop on the DJ tables with his buddies every once in a while for old time's sake. Viet's a guy raising Edmonton's reputation on the world stage and for a fella doing awesome things is about as humble and low-key as they come. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Viet Nguyen. Viet, thanks for joining me today, man. I'm, I'm going to pronounce your last name wrong, but I'm going to try. Nguyen. Pretty close. Okay. Nguyen. 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 Yeah. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me. I, I've been um, I've been doing a lot of reading on you in the last couple of days, which sounds creepy, but I promise you it's not. <laughs> yeah. um, and I have to say, like your list of accomplishments has got me really excited to chat with you. And then I was just doing some last minute reading, like like twenty minutes before you got here, and came right. across an article. And I have to say, man, I'm blown away by the circumstances of your birth. You got to right. talk about that. Right, yeah, so, um, I mean, my parents are refugees, they came here during the war, mm-hmm. um, or right after the war, I mean, and, and we were, um, my mom and dad were on the boat on the way here, and that's actually where I was born, <laughs> and then, yeah, so they stayed in a refugee camp in Hong Kong for three years, and mm-hmm. that's, uh, 
uh, that's where I, I spent majority of my you know one to three years when I was first born, and then we immigrated over here. So yeah, um, got that dual citizenship, which is kind of cool because <laughs> it was a British colony at the time. Right. So oh, interesting. Yeah. So what kind of people are your parents? I mean, to have to have escaped that and you know gone through that, they must be pretty um, pretty like inspiring people and and like yeah hustlers like is that where you get your kind of mentality from oh 100 man i mean growing up um you know going to school and everything was definitely one of those priorities for my parents was you know hey you know go to school work hard um become a doctor or lawyer or dentist or something like that i'm sure that most of the aspirations come from um a lot of parents anyways but uh um, you know, it's it's an Asian family thing where you don't want to really disappoint your parents. And when mm-hmm. I kind of got out of school, um, I was very much a, a computer nerd, a tech nerd. I loved technology. Um, and along with technology came, you know, electronic music because um, I would sit on my computer. I would work and listen to, you know, what's, what's on the Internet at that time. Right. And electronic music was pretty prevalent. Um, and uh, that's kind of where I got things started. I used to work on, you know, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I was, um, you know, like I was, when I was like 13, 14 year, years old, all I would do is work on like firewalls, which was like for, to help uh, law firms and whatnot help their security. So I would build like these Unix boxes that would, <laughs> <laughs> that would, that would funnel all bad data and like protect them from hackers and whatnot. And so like when I came out of school, um, you know, I got hired right away and they were just like, hey, can you help us build firewalls? And what I would do is I would just go around and build firewalls for law firms to protect their data. Right. Um, and that was kind of, you know, where I kind of got started with tech. And then from there, I started throwing events. How, how did like, how did you even stumble across that as an interest or as a passion for yourself? Like, is it just like hours, countless hours spent cruising the internet looking for things to do or like? Yeah, I just had this, um, I, I don't know, I got... I, my parents bought me my first computer when I was like 13 years old mm-hmm. and then uh, I went into you know I, I, I brought up uh, this site it was called GeoCities and I started building websites and then I entered this contest with Sun Systems and um, I built like a Bruce Lee website because he was my idol at that time <laughs> yeah it was awesome and then so I won second place in this contest and they sent me um, a Sun OS computer which is a Unix system and um I was just intrigued by it. I started working on it. And then eventually I was just like, you know, I was on chats. It was called IRC chat at the time. I think it's still around anyways. IRC chat. Yeah. Internet relay chat. Okay. And um, one of the things on there was kind of like you would try to knock people off the internet (laughs) and then take over their, their, their like chat channels. Really? Yeah. So like you'd have like a channel and it might have like 50 people in it and then you'd have like three or four admins. Mm -hmm. But, um, if you can knock those admins off, then you can kind of take over their channel. So one of the things I would do is I would just sit there and try to figure out how to get these people off the internet. So I would send them denial service attacks and using my computer and they would just like disconnect from their internet and then I would just take over from there. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, since I'm doing that, people are doing it to me now. Mm -hmm. So you got to figure out how to protect your system, right? Interesting. So So it's continually like escalation in terms of like your skills on a computer and having to get better to protect yourself and like certainly mix in this like obviously kind of a bit of a rebel mentality yeah, you yeah. had back then. That's really cool. I didn't yeah, it was pretty that. fun. I mean, it was it, it started out with just being fun, and then eventually, you know, you kind of get really deep into it. And 
Um, I remember like my parents would just be like, yeah, get off your computer. Like you're on that thing all, all, like all the time. And they'd set like, they'd set times when I can be on and when I couldn't be on and I'd wait till they go to bed and I'd literally carry the computer downstairs into my bedroom. Like the whole tower, the whole thing, the, screen, the tower, like, screen, everything. <laughs> and like back then, like you'd have to dial in to like, um, to, to actually use internet. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't like cable or- AM. I remember. Yeah, so I like I, I would dial in and then in the middle of the night, I would hear my parents, they would pick up the phone and it would disconnect my oh, my connection. And they'd be like, we know you're on the internet right now. We know that computer's in your room because we can, they can hear that tone, right? It <laughs> oh, yeah. sounds like a fax machine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty funny. But that's really, um, you know, and then I met some guys and we would we we would sit there and we'd nerd out on on these these computers and then they introduced me to at first I was listening to like drum and bass mm -hmm. and then uh, got really deep into some of the other electronic music and that was like I mean I think I was 14 15 years old at that time it's been a long time I'm yeah. 38 now so <laughs> yeah so that would have been the mid 90s right yeah yeah I'm seven years younger than you and so my first and I wasn't really into this I mean firstly I'm impressed that you were actually trying to do these kind of bold ambitious things on a computer at a young age I mean I remember when I got internet it was about trying to find porn and music and that was pretty <laughs> much it right like yeah. what was it uh, Nexopia and yeah. then uh, LimeWire was the next yeah, one yeah we use LimeWire yeah. and then you'd use uh, Napster as well Napster yeah. yeah or just or just downloading the uh, the latest uh, prank call audio clips those, yeah. were, those <laughs> were big big yeah. sellers in my time um, but uh, I was gonna what was it where was I going with that anyway I forget um, but uh, oh yeah so the music scene so my first my first exposure to house music was like early 2000s and I think like Cascade and uh, that was kind of I remember his first first song that was on the radio was move move for me yeah is that his, yeah. his song right yeah. and that was the first time and my buddy had showed me about a year before his stuff and and so like it's just crazy to think that back then, the time from when something actually started gaining popularity in underground circles to the time it became mainstream was so long. Whereas now it's almost like instantaneous, right? right yeah. And that must be a struggle as a promoter to kind of keep up with the trends sometimes almost. Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, back then, you know, like when I was going to events, I had no idea of any of the DJs that were playing the events. Sometimes I would know some of them, but um, the whole the whole idea of going to an event and listening to someone new for the first time was was more interesting it was kind of like oh who's this and and um you listen to their music and you listen to them play and um and that's what was really it's more of an education music education type thing for for me when i was going to events now it's very mainstream and now it's like you know you got your chain smokers you got your guys on the radio that um are fairly mainstream now and it's become almost like pop music at this point right right whereas before it's pretty underground and um and you don't have to go to very specific bars and clubs and nightclubs to actually check out the check out this type of music and i mean back then it was difficult for me to even bring up a show in any of the main clubs you'd have to go to smaller clubs to do it right mm -hmm. um my very first electronic show i went to was uh, a drum and bass show at uh new city liquid lounge and that was when i was i was just turned 18 i think and um and I was just like, holy, this is crazy. Like, I loved it. I was blown away by it. And that's when I thought, you know, like, hey, I want to do this. Like, I want to throw parties. Like, I want to, I want to start putting together events. Mm -hmm. And um, and so you start doing a little bit more research. You start meeting people and start networking because that's a big, really big part of doing it, uh, of doing events, right? It's networking. 
And uh, yeah, we kind of just went from there. I mean, um, the first show that we did, um, and we weren't known as Budang back then. I mean, my Budang was a, a collaboration between myself and, and Martin and Paul out of Calgary. And um, we were, my, my, I had a partner named Craig, Greg at the time, and we came up with a company called United Ravers. And uh, we started throwing parties, and our first one was at the ACCA Center in on the south side called Empathy. Mm-hmm. And we brought a German DJ. Um, and now he's known as Oliver Huntman, and he's like a really great techno DJ now. Um, before, um, he was known as KC, and he did this track called Escape. And it was one of my favorite tracks, and I was like, hey, it'd be great if we could like bring this guy down. And you know, not a lot of people knew who he was, mm-hmm. but we ended up doing about 900,000 people in that event. Mm-hmm. Um, super low budget, I mean, in comparison to what we're doing now, you know? Like, Humble beginnings. Yeah, right? very, very like, you know, um, loading loading the concessions yourself, you know, p- pretty much like a, a whole f- a whole um, a whole container of like water, and then cl- scraping gum off the floor, like just you know, like finishing the event at like eight in the morning, and then looking at the place and being like, holy shit, I gotta clean this entire hall before like this guy <laughs> comes back that I rented this place from, mm-hmm. and you know, you'd rent the room for like two grand. Um, it was great though, man. Back then, like you'd you you take all the concession sales, water sales, and everything like that, and you could possibly you know break even or make some money on your event. But um, mm-hmm. we broke, we lost money on that one because we were terrible at budgeting. We we're young kids at that time. Yeah, of course, and you're 18 at this. point. Yeah, 18 yeah. at this point. I borrowed some money from the Royal Bank, and they gave me a line of credit. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to use this money, and I'm going to throw a party. Did they? Did you tell them what it was for when you went in for the no. loan? Oh, okay, I, I would love to see the face of a teller back in like '99 when you said, "Yeah, yeah I'd like five thousand dollars to throw a raid." Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, their eyes were just like glazed over. Like, what did you just ask me? Yeah, I was interesting because I thought like I thought it was difficult but to be honest with you I literally just went in and maybe I had great credit or something but I just went in I'm like hey um, I'd like to borrow some money and they're like yeah we could give you five thousand dollars and it was just like in and out done line of credit five grand this kid's gonna be a doctor (laughs) he's he's good for the money yeah it was pretty interesting and then from there we start we threw our first scream party at the Polish Hall um, which was unreal by the way like man what year was that 2000 okay so right after uh after the first one yeah 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 it was like um i mean all acts that now like if you looked at the lineup you'd be like who are these people but right they were all like you know um lots of drum and bass was huge back then um and uh and then john alcoviva who's a great techno dj right mm-hmm. now plays alongside with richie houghton mm-hmm. um and we yeah, we, we did really well with that one and we just kind of kept going and we didn't start making money for about five years because it was just like the market was like, we just kept losing money, we kept dumping money into the parties yeah. and kept losing money. We're like, but this is so much fun. We yeah, yeah, so you, you're having a good time. Yeah. Like, did you also like believe in the mission? Like you, you thought that at some point this is going to turn around and we're going to make money off this? Well, you'd like lose money on like four events and then you do one and you'd make money and you'd be like, oh, great. Like we yeah. made some money and then you think about it for a bit, like maybe we should live you know it's like gambling sitting yeah. at the table and like you're you're winning your bets here and there and you're losing some but then we were like you know what let's just keep going and eventually we um i mean things really got things really started to blow up i think um in 2004 when tiesto played 
the Olympics in Athens. Right. And then, um, you know, like prior to that, we'd booked them a few times, but the attendance was always like four or 500 people. You know, you'd have them in a nightclub at Escape and then the, the agent was just like, you know, like we want to bring them back. We want to do the Elements of Life tour. He just literally did, um, you know, played Athens in the Olympics and uh, we want to do something bigger in Edmonton. And I looked at my partner, I'm like, man, like, I don't know if it's possible, but everyone's like, well, he just did a club show. He only did like four or 500 tickets. How do you expect him to sell out like a stadium or yeah. I mean, like a, a conference center type like of thing? He just did the Olympics, yeah. man. Of course he can sell that out. And But then we're like, you know what? I think the aspect of him playing such a large venue mm-hmm. also appeals to a much larger crowd and somehow we ended up you know we convinced the Shaw Conference Center to allow us to do like pretty much like the first electronic event there yeah and um, I don't think anyone else could have broke through other than an artist like Tiesto at that mm-hmm. time because our whole thing was like look look at this guy he just played the Olympics like if he can play the Olympics why can't he play here right. so that was your justification at Shaw Conference yeah. Center so they really had to go out on a on a on a ledge and 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 believe in the concept yeah. as well yeah exactly they gave us a, a limited capacity 4,000 people mm-hmm. um, kind of as a trial run to see how things would go um, I, I, I love working with the Shaw man the Shaw has been like our supporters since right. since day one they've always really backed us on what we do and um, they've backed the scene um, and uh, I mean they're they're, an, they're a city owned venue um, with uh, with a lot of I mean a lot of support in, in the electronic scene so um, I kudos to the people there that run the venue and have been for quite some time now but um, yeah at the end of the day they let us do our show there and um, and uh, we it was super successful um, I mean we did this I, I still remember it like like it was yesterday but we did this kabuki drop which the curtain would come down and Tiesto was behind the curtain and the place just lit up and it was just like probably one of the most epic moments of my career and so, so the whole crowd would have known like Tiesto, like they're all there because they were hardcore fans. Like oh, at yeah. that point, people weren't really going to raves because it was something that was happening, right? Like no. if you were going, you were going because you knew about it. You yeah, knew what it was about. Yeah, back then, like you'd go to all the all the parties were in like halls. Like you know, yeah. you'd have like the Ukrainian hall and you'd have the Polish <laughs> hall. You'd have your big events, like you'd have like uh, the Nexus parties, which were really awesome back in the day. Like you're talking Viva Las Vegas and. Um, and uh, and like Nexus Gathering, those were like the biggest parties back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gathering actually did, I think it was like 7,000 people at one point yeah. at the Mayfield Trade Center. Um, but it, finding venues to do those types of events were really difficult. Um, and there was no such thing as doing them at like the Shaw Conference Center or, mm-hmm. or in the Northlands or anything like that. Actually, the SportX did hold the Ascension event, which was like Polo can fold. What was the SportX? The Sportex was the building that was there before the Edmonton Expo. Okay. Yeah. So it's like uh, it was it was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the 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 that that venue was really cool as well. But yeah, they tore it down, then they built the Edmonton Expo, and that's what's that's what's there now. But yeah, um, those events kind of paved the way mm-hmm. in for what for what we're doing now, yeah. I'd say. So walk us through, because I've learned this tons of times, but I always forget. Walk us through kind of like the main genres of electronic music. I mean, you've referenced techno, you've referenced drum and bass. So what are kind of like a sentence about each of them? Yeah, I mean, now I feel that EDM has kind of moved in um, and it's kind of moving out at the same time. Electronic dance music. Yeah, and like that's a very general term for, you know, that mainstream 
electronic music mm-hmm. I, I would I would find um, and and then you have you know like your your underground type stuff which would be your techno um, your tech house and and house music in general like basically that stuff is you know um, you'll find it quite a bit at the clubs we try to integrate it into our bigger shows if we can we're I'm a huge techno fan myself and a tech house fan um, drum and bass uh, still got a really great market for it here mm-hmm. um, some of the shows do pretty well I mean stylistically what do they sound like what, what how would you describe what techno sounds like versus drum and bass um, drum and bass drum and bass yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, techno is is uh, probably about 128 BPM ish um, can go much faster than that and it's pretty repetitive mm-hmm. um, but it has nice build-ups and drops um, whereas you know you have your your bass music which would be like your dubsteps and traps and stuff with okay. like very heavy heavy bass hitting those really low frequencies right and then um, you know EDM like pop music pretty much right um, yeah because I know like some people who are totally removed from from the scene um, and I hate to be an ageist, but typically yeah. older people, they don't, they don't, they just, just all sounds the same to them, right? Yeah. They go like, I don't know, it's all weird music to me. So, yeah. And I guess it's probably hard to describe it until you actually, like, if you have samples of each of me, like, okay, this is what I mean by techno and yeah. this is what I mean by drum and bass. Yeah. Um, but it's, it must be interesting to see sort of the evolution of all these and kind of have them interweave with one another and then kind of like, you know, absorb pop music a little bit too, right? Yeah. Like you hear like a Miley Cyrus song and she She's got like riffs of a little bit of electronic music in the background as well, right? Even Taylor Swift does the same thing. Yeah, too. they're produced. A lot of their music's produced by electronic artists. You know, yeah. like Bieber's got Skrillex producing for him here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, for for me, it's it's a different. I mean, if you look at Bombfest, we did Bombfest this last summer, and I was trying to explain the different genres to to um, the people at the Northlands Expo or Edmonton Expo now. Um, and they were they were very much like, oh, we don't really get it. It just all sounds the same to us, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, but the difference was we had bass music on the first day, and we had much more melodic stuff on the second day. Mm-hmm. So they were actually able to see the difference between the two, not only by the type, the sound, but also the attendance, like mm-hmm. the type of people at the events. Right. Um, bass, the bass music was a lot, lot harder uh, and there's a little bit of moshing going on too, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the... the it's a closer to punk. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd almost say like, almost like the punk heavy metal yeah. sound of electronic music and then you have your more progressive sound and melodic stuff on the second mm-hmm. day, right? So right. they were able to, to see right away that difference, but you, you gotta put them almost like side side by side yeah. for some people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah Bombfest was big because that was, was that the first event after the proposed moratorium that never actually ended up going through? Yeah. Um, Walk us through that process and like, you know, what the moratorium, proposed moratorium was about and, and how you guys kind of, you know, rebounded from it. Yeah, so, I mean, this is funny because this would be my third time going through something like this, mm-hmm. right? So the first the first two times were, um, the first time I, I wasn't as much involved. Um, I had, there, there, there were guys from Nexus and Dave Stone and a bunch of other guys who had, had, had put together a rally to try to keep electronic events going in the city. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up coming up with the, the rave bylaw or the the after hours dance event bylaw this which was back in 01 who was back yeah i think it was back in 01 okay and um and from that um you know came a set of rules and application fees and whatnot to to actually throw these events that go past 3 a.m into mm-hmm. into the late night 
and um, and we were actually the first company to apply for the license and and, and get one. Um, but uh, then back in I think it was two thousand and six or wait two thousand and twelve. 2012 six out in my mind it was 01 2012 yeah there was another push to to kind of yeah. restrictions on it yeah and then yeah we had elements uh the the the, the elements music festival mm-hmm. which was the next one um and that was more or less a case of um some real bad stuff happening and, and being distributed uh in calgary which had caused some some cause for concern with the city and and drugs uh, edmonton police bad yeah. drugs bad drugs yeah that. And, uh, and that was a huge issue. So uh, the venue, um, you know, we had signed a contract with the venue and and, um, and they ended up saying, well, we want to make sure, we want to mitigate as much, um, as much risk as possible. Mm-hmm. And we went into a scenario where um, the venue wanted to take away liquor sales or, or take away liquor from the event, even though this was an 18 plus event. Um, and for us, you know, that's, that would kill the event. That's where you make your money entirely. Well, no, the venue makes their event there, but then it's kind of like you're going to you're 18 plus. You're going to a, a dry festival with 10,000 people. Like, what do you think people are gonna do more of if they don't have access to alcohol? Right? That's exactly. That's exactly like, come it. On. So, so um, we got that. We got that. We got the. We got a judge to actually tell the expo to be like, hey, you got to uphold your contract here. Like you're gonna. Good. Yeah. So the the judge ended up telling them that. Um, we ended up coming up with a plan with the city and it for whatever reason i feel like every time we're about to throw a really big event Mm -hmm. um something like this happens (laughs) like it's kind of like oh you're gonna throw a big festival okay this we're gonna put a little pressure on you and and um and we end up um we ended up just getting off making through that event pretty well it was one of our favorite events that we've thrown it was um nominated for an international dance music award in miami Mm -hmm. um and i mean to get nominated for that was huge because you're literally in the same category as festivals like Coachella, right? And um, and out of Edmonton, yeah, out of there. Edmonton, and it was like super, like it was, it almost looked out of place, <laughs> but at the same time, it just was kind of like, well, there's ten thousand people at this event, and and a lot of them loved it. So obviously, that's likely how we got nominated. It's right. everyone that attended it was like, right. hey, we want to nominate the, mm-hmm. these guys into this. Uh, this category so um it's a shame that event didn't continue to happen because we really tried to push for it to to continue where'd you hold that one at the edmonton expo center okay and it was actually um it was actually held in the whole building so like you could literally walk around through four different stages right in the different halls in the different halls Dude, and that's it, unreal. it was super cool man we had like three different stages and then we had like a concession hall and um a really really cool event lots of lots of good artists um hopefully one day we can bring it back in i'd love to do it again it was just like mm-hmm. such a major major event for this city now when you say like bring that particular event back like is that the branding of the event is it the location that's most key for that like what goes into creating a particular event um and you know like branding it year after year i i more i i'd say the branding for sure um, and also the memories that people hold mm-hmm. to that particular event. Right. So with every event that we do, we try to have a different um, 
feel, I guess, to, to the event. For instance, like Pure is a white party. You dress mm -hmm. up in all white. It's very melodic. It has has really a, a really uplifting feel to it, right? Mm -hmm. Halloween, Scream, dress up. It's Halloween, obviously. A little bit darker, yeah. a little bit um, more bassy sounding music. Um, and then you have, you know, Frequency, which is covers all genres, and we try to make it like a, an event for all. Mm -hmm. um, and then Elements was... Um, really cool because each stage was produced um to match an element so um you had your water stage which had like water fountains and cool little water elements to it mm -hmm. and then you'd have your earth stage which was the main stage and it had like flowers and all this stuff coming out of the stage um yeah and then we had our fire stage which was like yeah <laughs> you can imagine what the fire stage the fire was stage like. was awesome like the production <laughs> of the fire stage was unreal we had like this um we had the team we had a p the pk team out of calgary come in and they they designed this stage that had um, like fire video projection on like these structures that were built that looked like flames mm -hmm. and and then like a huge like um, face a mask behind the stage and it was it was just really well done and and, and um, that's really some of the components of what of what make what made elements what it was right um, it had a really amazing vibe to it I can only explain it um, like when you're walking through the halls, people are shouting and screaming, and 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 there was like a, a very a very good community vibe mm -hmm. at that particular event. So um, I'd love to do that again one day. We'll see. And that's that's part of that community vibe is part of what part of the biggest draw to party goers is is that that community that sort of love for the music. But I think the problem is you're alluding to when you're about to have these big events in city cities or certain bodies trying to shut them down is that there's a misconception that the the scene is all about the drugs right and that's the only reason that people are going to all get banged up and listen to loud music right which is seems seemingly to me not really not the case because you know i i don't know what the numbers are specifically and it'd be almost impossible to measure it but it can't be a huge number of people that are on drugs at these things well at this point i mean if you look at it um anywhere you go wherever you want i mean that was kind of where the moratorium went kind of wrong was when they were trying to ban dance music in general mm -hmm. you can't really do that because um it's everywhere mm -hmm. and it's in it's in your car it's in your you know it's in your uh, it's in the, every bar you go to it's in stores that you walk into and you can't say that that it's associated with drugs because when you walk into these places or in gyms i don't i don't see people hopped up on on, on, on <laughs> trying to sell me a pair yeah, of jeans. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly because just because they're listening to electronic music yeah. you know um the events are mass gatherings and concerts and festivals um in general i feel like that's that that itself um just regardless of what style of music mm -hmm. it is uh has a tendency to to bring out people that want to party mm -hmm. um if you go to a music festival even like coachella or you go any any music festival people are there to have fun mm -hmm. they're drinking they're partying they're you know um it's gonna happen regardless of the style of music right um it's it's all about trends as well what's trendy right now to what age group mm -hmm. that so so we're catering to electronic music might be the trend right now towards that 18 to 25 to 30 year old age group um, and they're out there to party they're out there to have fun mm -hmm. they're young they don't have much responsibility yeah. they're just they're, they maybe have a little bit of money for the first time they're just that's that exactly. fits their lifestyle right yeah and then like what happens when that group or that demo def def 
decides that that's not the style of music they like anymore and that mm-hmm. becomes the now electronic music becomes your rock and roll right um and it's moved into a different demo mm-hmm. and then a different style comes in or a different type of music comes in and that now becomes a popular type of music mm-hmm. now that becomes your demo for your 18 25 30 30 year olds that want to party mm-hmm. is that now suddenly um your new rave yeah do you know what i mean like the whole trend of music that associate that's associated with that specific demographic yeah um there's always something new like back back in the day your your metal your electro your your rock music was also associated with drugs mm-hmm. but that's not the same it's not the same anymore mm-hmm. because that's moved out of that spotlight and moved out of that particular demographic right and it's media sensationalization and what they choose to focus on yeah. right i did an interesting look back at like all the different genres of music and the drugs associated with them so yeah. you've got jazz and heroin in the 60s you've got mushrooms and psychedelics in the 70s disco and quaaludes reggae and weed punk and speed hip-hop and lean rap and coke yeah here's one i didn't know shoegaze and acid you know what shoegaze is no idea shoegaze is an 80s british indie rock uh named after the band's motionless performing style where they yeah. stood on stage and stared at the floor while they played yeah so you can imagine people on acid being really enthralled by that yeah even though yeah. the band's not really doing anything for sure but it's you know and i it's kind of been targeted to a few different points in time like starting in the 90s there was a big um uproar in the uk and tabloids kind of started saying oh you know these raves and mdma usage is out of control yep and then in 97 in the states 2020 did a a piece on a hidden camera footage in a rave and saw people taking drugs and stuff and and it just you know i think the we like to pick the things that really get people's emotional energy up and so when you think like oh there's an epidemic of young people doing drugs it's like well okay so the city's concerned about, you know, they're in the moratorium proposal. They said it was um, it was alcohol, drug usage, and drug-induced sexual assault. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, I think most sexual assaults are probably alcohol-induced rather than drug-induced, right? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, it's always a cause for concern when those items come up. Um, and we, we talked to the sexual assault center in Edmonton to find out exactly what those statistics look like. Yeah. So, because we want to, we want to improve. Like we don't, we don't ever want to be, um, associated with, with those type of negative, um, stats. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and to be honest, she came back and said, you know, these, this is a general, this happens everywhere mm-hmm. and not just at electronic events. Right. So, um, we weren't able to get, um, really particular information from what, how it happens at our, our events but um but uh that's yeah she, she that's what uh, that's what she came back with was that you know like it's not just associated with electronic events mm-hmm. it's at the bars it's at you know yeah it's anytime you go out really yeah it's, sporting events yeah, bars exactly. any yeah. type of mass House gathering yeah. you get it's a tribal behavior especially when you mix alcohol yeah. and yeah. especially you know people's inhibitions are lowered and yeah and mob mentality like so much shit can go wrong and i mean at the end of the day we're just now we're you know all we're doing is trying to provide a real safe place for Mm -hmm. people to 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 enjoy the music and have for to enjoy the music and to have be around their friends and it's like um you we've we've done everything now at this point by bringing up our our security our um our festival health has improved quite a bit and um, you know the the transport numbers have decreased substantially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not where I want them to be yet. But I mean, Bombfest we had, 
you know, almost 4,000 people per day. That's 8,000 people over the weekend. We had zero transfers. Yeah. So that's a big measurable statistic that, that people in opposition of these events look at how many people are transported by yeah. ambulance from yeah. or by paramedics from the event to the hospital, right? And assuming that that's a big... That's, that's a big indicator of something's going wrong if you've got people transported. Our, our main thing here is trying to get, uh, trying to take off any, you know, n number one, trying to provide a safe place for people to have fun. And obviously number two, we wanna make sure that we're not, we're not gonna become a, a, a huge, um, we're, we're not impacting city services such mm -hmm. as, you know, Alberta Health Services or or the hospitals, mm -hmm. um, as much as as much as we were before. So, so to combat that, you guys would bring into the event your own higher medical staff, people that could deal with issues on site. Is yeah. That, is that right? So, I mean, we've always had physicians here and there on site, mm -hmm. um, but now we have an actual like, hey, we're gonna actually treat patients on site. We have like nurses there. We have volunteer staff. We have our harm reduction booth. We have um, you know, just a full out like like anything that we can take care of, we take we can take care of at at, at the event now. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting sort of you know political question, and what what's your stance on on drug use and and its implications? Like you know, on one end of the spectrum, you've got zero tolerance, total prohibition, and, yeah. and um and then on the other end, you look at it, you know, drug consumption as a public health issue and. You know, maybe these people, and then somewhere in the middle could be. You know, people might be doing it because they're addicted. There's there's a plethora of reasons that people might do drugs at the events. Yeah. But one of them for sure is just that drugs and music have always gone together. It's always been something that people have done, and and to think that people aren't going to or are going to stop doing it because of you know bans is crazy. Yeah. Prohibition doesn't work. Yeah. And also, no matter how well you educate people. They're still probably going to say, "Ah, I'll take that risk and I'll do it anyway." And then the third thing is too the the research on a lot of these drugs that partygoers are using is really not conclusive at all, right? No. It all stems from the war on drugs and and you know Nixon back in the day or Reagan rather back in the day. Yeah, and it's really hard to get adequate research done on these drugs. You know, it's hard to get it's hard to get funding, even right. politically neutral topics have trouble getting funding you have to be pretty much perfect and then you have to have a an institution uh, to house it right so right. typically high level institutions won't go they're more conservative so they won't go for you know a, a big name drug research um, yeah. paper and then it's okay once you get the institution and you get the funding it's like well now i have to buy all these licenses in order to hold the the substances in order to administer the substances and then you have to get um, and then you have to get the uh, the permits and then those expire like it's just this whole big problem and then publishing too I've read is, is a big problem too even if you get this experiment done somehow yeah then papers can can um, can just not publish it for for any number of reasons yeah, yeah they don't want to sure. bring the press upon themselves so it's uh, yeah I mean it's a complex issue that I think I mean I, the way I look at it is 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 like this right so um, you have, let's say, 5,000 people out there partying. Uh, at any given day, you know, those 5,000 people, whether or not you provide them with a safe environment to, to, to uh, listen to music and party in, um, they could very well be at a friend's house. They could be doing the exact same thing without that type of 
on on-site medical mm-hmm. attention. If something was to go wrong, um, we're better prepared for it than if they were to be partying at a friend's house or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of one of those things where um, where if if we didn't have these events, um, what would happen? Mm-hmm. They would go underground. Mm-hmm. Um, these events would go into warehouses or stuff that places that are outside of the city that aren't sanctioned, mm-hmm. um, aren't licensed properly and have no, no rules on them. Mm-hmm. Right. And from there, you know, like, let's say you let's say someone decides, okay, well, since we can't do these events anymore in the city, we're going to do them just outside of the city where we don't have to worry about the rules. Mm-hmm. And, um, how difficult would it be to get medical service out there? Yeah, to tend to people if there was something something was to happen, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I think that the steps that we've taken with the city and the and the way that the direction that we're moving right now has been very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, they built uh, we built a good working group now that goes over, um, you know, like how how we can improve on the events, and we're always speaking. We're we're always meeting about you know um, previous events and 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 how you know how our last events have done and what we can do better. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 moving in the right direction for sure. What um, are there any like ultra progressive like kind of shocking steps that you guys are considering taking at at future events in terms of protecting and harm mitigating? It's always like little things. Like for instance, you know, putting breaks in between the the, the artist performances, five ten minutes break breaks so people can get drinks of water. So it almost like brings them back to reality. Yeah, exactly. It's like the music's yeah. off and they're like, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like I need water or yeah. I need, you know, I need some food or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, just little tiny things that you do. Um, everything from providing free water to, um, to, to, to having that harm reduction booth there are people just lots of, you know, people walking around looking after each other. I mean, mm-hmm. the one thing I have to say though, is it's, it takes, it takes the people that are attending the event as well mm-hmm. to take a little more responsibility sure. on themselves and just be like hey like you know look at the person next to you make sure they're okay or like go go with a group of friends you know don't um don't go alone make sure you're you know you're looking after each other and, and make sure you're staying well hydrated and mm-hmm. and for for us we're you know we do everything we can on our end um and and people that are attending the events need to understand that they need to take care of themselves as well yeah 100 percent. be responsible you know it's like it's like we can provide you as safe an environment as possible but at the end of the day your actions within that environment are going to dictate what the outcome is yeah right? for sure and i mean i mean um it, it it affects a lot of things like for us you know medically um the expenses now are probably five times more than they, they ever used to be mm-hmm. um, having an on-site physician and nurses and all that it, it costs a lot of money and we're we're fine doing it but um, people need to be responsible and if they take some responsibility and we can help reduce these uh, these events happening at the events or transports happening then we can start looking at you know um, if we spend less money on on stuff like that, we can spend more money on the event itself. Yeah, you put more money on the stage. Yeah, right? or or like the artists or, mm-hmm. or whatnot, right? So, um, but until then, we're gonna keep a very high standard in terms of health and safety, mm-hmm. um, and and make sure that we have everything we need there. So, yeah. How like, I wonder if it would ever take sort of you know groups, advocacy groups, or or you know promoter groups putting money into sort of raising awareness of like you know how can we enjoy this you know this type of 
music or these type of events without substance abuse and or, yeah. you know like you know and what's the what's you know the underlying reasons that people are taking these substances in the first place right see one of those things that happens is like you get a kick in the butt sometimes and the, the whole scene you can see it you're like okay guys you're just about to lose all your electronic events in edmonton yeah how do you feel about that yeah and then all of a sudden they're like oh you know what we're going to be a little bit more responsible smart now yeah and they smarten up for yeah. a bit and then all of a sudden like a few weeks or a few weeks later next month next event comes along and it's like they forgot everything that happened and how many times you know yeah. we've almost so it's almost like you have to keep reminding them that you know this is the this is what this is what's going to happen if you don't smarten up like right. you need to realize that you could lose these events forever and what are you going to do once they're gone yeah us as human beings always want to push the envelope right yeah like, and you always want to push the boundaries of what's acceptable and what you can get away with yeah. like see the same thing in a sports team right sport team might lose like the oilers lose a really bad game right yeah seven to two and then all of a sudden next game they shaped right up yeah. and then it's like all right we're good and then they lose the next one it's like the message got lost all of a yeah. sudden it's yeah. like like you guys are really in danger screwing yourself so long term if you don't a lot consistently of this, apply yeah. it. A lot of this you gotta build that culture. Like gotta we gotta get people into the mentality of mm -hmm. really just being responsible mm -hmm. as well. I mean it's not it's not just Edmonton. It's every every city um, has these events. Yeah. Um, and every every city does deal with the same issues that we do as well. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping everyone can take a little bit of time off and just be like, hey, you know. <laughs> at, at the events and be like hey where am I at right now yeah. like you know what it's tough to make responsibility cool right like yeah, it's, yeah. there's nothing like edgy about it but I mean it's it's in reality like what we need the most yeah, is, is yeah. to have that emphasis I was I was asking someone the other day because there's such a culture on spending and you know like trying to show off and buying expensive or right. you know flashy things I'm like why isn't there a movement to like make being really thrifty cool like you and I instead of competing who's got the nicer watch we yeah. can be like how much money did you save like how much are you saving month to month like <laughs> yeah, imagine yeah. if that was what was cool and people competed on yeah it was like yeah man like I'm, I'm how frugal are you yeah how frugal <laughs> my frugality is off the charts bro yeah for sure like that would yeah. be unreal but I just there's something fundamental about it um, yeah that that's not seems to not be the case keeping up with the Joneses man yeah keeping down with the <laughs> keeping down with the Joneses <laughs> the uh, yeah. Well, I asked about the like the you know maybe progressive measures you guys are considering. I read about one group in the UK uh, called the Warehouse, um, the Warehouse Project. Yeah, and uh, they work with a professor um, out of Durham University, and what they actually do is they'll test on site any drugs that are confiscated by police and security. Yeah. And if they find anything concerning, you know, any, um, you know, lace substances, things that could be really dangerous, then they'll, they'll, um, they'll blast that out on the warehouse project, social media. And it's, you know, that to me seems like that's really smart. It's like, it's not implicating anyone. It's just saying like, that's actually a really great idea. Yeah. It's a, it's like saying, okay, so I know like certain piece drugs kind of all, you know, yeah, they can be stamped with the same thing or they can, you can kind of know where yours came from. And so you say anyone who's got this, just be careful. Yeah. Like we've noticed that it's laced with fentanyl or whatever. Yeah. And you know, I think it's, it's tough. You can't, apparently you can't do that in the States because of the Rave Act from right. 03, where promoters are liable for what happens on site. Right. And I don't think it's the same thing in Canada. You could probably tell me if I'm wrong. No, it's not, but there is a very gray area there kind of like, you know, um, it's interesting because when you talk to the police and they're, the Edmonton police have been awesome, by the way, they're mm -hmm. just, you know, they, 
they kind of look they, they kind of go to the events and they're like you know sometimes you know people are on drugs yeah and you just have to turn a blind eye because right but then it's like you watch them you monitor it's like them. gray area almost sometimes for them and it's like being drunk in public you're yeah. not allowed to be drunk in public yeah. but if a cop sees you stumble from the pint to hudson's yeah they're not going to arrest you unless yeah. you're causing yeah. a problem yeah i mean um they're doing doing like drug testing on site mm-hmm. is like really one of those things where you know they're just like no it's not gonna happen like testing people or testing the drugs well if you go to some events like shambhala music festival mm-hmm. you can literally walk up to like their harm reduction area yeah and they'll test your drugs for you right and um it's like a safe injection site yeah basically. yeah exactly um i'm not opposed to it i think it's a great idea um but if it was like edmonton police standing there looking at you while you're testing your drugs. It's yeah. like, it's very like, okay, um, you're openly doing drugs mm-hmm. in, fr- in front of there. And like cops have to do something about that, right? Yeah. You can't really just like allow them to do that. But but I do like the idea that they test what's confiscated. Yeah. Cause then it's not like, okay, this person's already out because mm-hmm. they, ha- they were holding drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, now they test it and if there's, and then we could post it up on like the sign. If there's anything bad going around, yeah. at least you can post it on, right? Most of the times if you find someone that's, that's not doing so well because of something they took, um, they don't know what it looked like or they don't know what it is. Yeah. It's too late. Dark, someone hands yeah. you something, you throw it down the throat. Oh, it's, fuck. Yeah, it's, like, too, it's too late by that point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I really like that idea. Maybe that's something I can bring up with the, with the group next time we chat. It, it's, it's, it's cool to look around the world and see because so many people are dealing with the same problems everywhere. That, yeah. You know, all the kind of unique solutions that they're coming up with. Yeah. To, or not even solutions, but at least ideas to try and combat it, right? Yeah. And I mean, like, if you want to talk about actually testing people's drugs before they do it, like... Could you imagine a better time to be able to provide them with like accurate information about yep. drugs too? Like, it's like, all right, let's just take the pressure off of the illegality of it for a second. Mm-hmm. And then let's take you to this safe space. And while we're waiting for these test results to come, maybe we can have a chat about like why you're doing the drugs yep. or, you know, like. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that holistic approach of like, you know, the public health awareness of like, let's tackle the real problem yep. versus like just trying to mitigate the disaster that it yeah. becomes right yeah and i mean that's 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 why we have a we have a group called indigo that comes to, that does our events and they do harm reduction for us mm-hmm. um it's great because they have all the information you need there about drugs so if you're even thinking about doing drugs you can walk up there and talk to them about right. it before you before anything right and they'll tell you all the implications about doing it mm-hmm. um and if anyone takes any drugs they come they come there and they're like okay listen i'm not feeling so great right and we have like an escalation de-escalation system mm-hmm. so like it starts with like harm reduction and then it's and then it goes from you know talking to someone at the harm reduction booth and if it needs to escalate a little more then it goes to first aid and then from right. there it goes to oh interesting yeah. so, so these are the things that people don't realize right yeah. like even someone like me who's like somewhat aware of the electronic music scene i yeah. don't really go to the events but like i would never know that there's actual like these these well thought out um yeah measures put into place there's steps that 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 you know you get you there's also you know catch and release so like you you come into the the harm reduction booth if you're if you're finding yourself not feeling great then they might escalate it to first aid and then from a first aid it might be escalated to to further down the road with a phys- one of our physicians and then from there if you're feeling better then it mm-hmm. gets escalated back the other way right. until harm reduction releases you back out to your friends into, yeah. into the friend <laughs> back into the wild <laughs> so so with you know with the kind of 
differences in political opinions where does the city of edmonton stand on the spectrum of like zero tolerance to fairly progressive public health issue where do they fall in that in that range well i don't know if you noticed but i mean edmonton did that uh did the safe injection sites and in, in uh in the city just i think mm-hmm. it just launched like last year or something okay. like that yeah and um it's reduced the amount of overdoses apparently by like 50 percent that's something. unreal yeah so um i feel like they are a lot more progressive now in mm-hmm. terms of um in terms of in terms of those type of uh in terms of those type of uh what do you call it uh, issues issues yeah. yeah yeah um they've been really great to work with i mean it's just a matter of getting things dialed in for 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 every event that we do everything every event's different yeah. in terms of size and, and promoters that you work with right yeah. so it must be a big a, you know a big matter of just showing your work be like hey guys yeah. here's the problems we anticipate yeah. and here's how prepared we are to deal with each one of these yeah. problems and i'm sure once they see that they're like okay these guys are actually putting thought into it they're not just trying to make a quick buck off people gathering and yeah. getting banged up i mean if you look at bomb fest um there was a lot of things we did so we 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 met with the city and we met with alberta health services edmonton police um and I mean, every every single group that's involved in planning the event was there on multiple occasions. I think three times we met prior to Bombfest, and um, we had to have everything in place: security plans, medical plans, and all that. Now they had to all be approved by mm-hmm. each service as well. Uh, police was great. Um, Alberta Health Services, we went way over and above what was expected. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of eyes looking at us on that particular event. Right? That was the first big one after the proposed moratorium yeah. shut down. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we went like we went nuts on that one. We mm-hmm. spent a crazy amount of money just making sure that everything was covered. All our bases were covered 100%. Um, but it's not a sustainable model mm. for any for for any event. It was just it was just something we had to put in play. Mm-hmm. Now we've been able to scale that back a bit and we implemented it at our smaller events like Scream um, was really well done as well and then uh, get together and um, and coming up, we have frequency. So those events um, are now now have another an, another uh, medical plan and, and model that we put into place with mm-hmm. with uh, with with our team. Now we're just trying to figure out, you know, what those exact numbers look like. So if it's going to be one or two physicians, how many nurses do we need? Right. Um, figure if we need to scale up, scale down until we get it proper. And then from that, we bring it back to the working group and we tell them, hey, this is what's worked for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can kind of come up with a game plan with the city on what needs to be implemented at these events. Right. So it's yeah. just fine tuning until you kind of figure out. And every, like you said, every event I'm sure is going to be different depending on, you know, the political climate, what the job economy is yeah. like. Like there's so many factors that would go into what happens at an event because you've got thousands of people with different lives and different, yeah. you know, feelings and thoughts and, and things going on. So. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you got, um, and it's not just that, like it's it's really odd, but if you have, I find that if you have certain headliners on certain nights too, the events differ in, in, in people there in mm-hmm. attendance and that also differs in the um in how hard they party so like mm-hmm. like if you have a guy like for instance um let's say for for example that gets a lot of radio plays mm-hmm. i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw it out there maybe like a dead mouse or something like that mm-hmm. um it's gonna attract a crowd that may not go to these events as often 
And sometimes that stirs up a little bit more trouble. Right, because it's not the same group that is yeah. comfortable with one another. So when you get more mainstream artists come in, you get a bigger, a more diverse crowd. Exactly, and okay. a lot of people that might not normally go to events are coming, right? Right, so they don't know how to conduct themselves, they don't yeah. know what's typical standard operating procedure, yeah. they, they might go overboard. Yeah, exactly, they, okay, might, they, might, they might drink a whole ton and yeah. then end up doing some drugs. And, you know, like that's kind of... Um, one of the stats that we've noticed is, is you know, if, when we've done events that are more underground in terms of artists, mm-hmm. people tend to are 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 more. Are, we tend to attract people that have gone to more events. So more underground type events or a genre of music yeah. leads to better behavior. Yeah, because it's in tighter knit group yeah. and community. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I would have never thought about yeah. that, but it makes sense. I mean, yeah, yeah. But then you need those those bigger acts to draw right of to, course to get those ticket sales yeah. right so it's cash 22 and i mean um that's another thing that another issue that we start coming across now is uh is building those lineups and ticket pricing and, mm-hmm. and all that right like yeah. it's been a struggle i mean if you look at the market these days and 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 obviously um Alberta's economy is not all that great right now we used to be able to put together lineups for these events with um with uh with pretty much you know any artist that's kind of hot at the moment mm-hmm. uh, and still be able to sell it out and it'd be it'd be a great show right like we we used to do frequency with you know something like 12 14 15 acts mm-hmm. that are just kind of like between that um you know b maybe c class type djs um and and it would be a huge lineup and people would love to come see it now it's like you put together a lineup and if you don't have if you don't have someone like Marshmallow or Chainsmokers or someone that's huge on the radio right now, yeah, um, you get like, you get some haters out there for sure. Yeah, it's like people's expectations have gone through the roof, right? Yeah, and that's the problem you get by trying to outdo yourself all the time is you can sit, continually setting the bar higher yeah. to the point where it it might become you know unsustainable. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you got to rethink like, okay, what are we gonna do other than the acts? Yeah, that are going to draw people in. What's going to make this a desirable thing to come to, even if we don't have you know ten headliners? Yeah, yeah. Right. And I mean, if you're stuck in a like you're kind of stuck at that five thousand capacity range, mm-hmm. um, there's only so many artists artists that that are going to work within that that budget, um, and and a lot of them aren't going to be the ones that that people are going to be like, wow, you know, it's that's amazing. Like there's a there it's it's very difficult to build a lineup with um, the budget constraints that we have nowadays. Uh, with the money being spent, number one on increase—I mean, increased costs all around, yeah. including medical. Yeah, you guys um, aren't taking home any more money. No, it's exactly. Just... The margins are super tight, and and I mean, there's just tons of tons more costs, and artists are are, are getting getting way more money these days. You know, like yeah, same with athletes, right? Yeah, and the contracts are going up. And yeah, the fans exactly. are paying for it. I mean, I used to pay like thirty grand for one of the top artists in the world right now and now he's probably two hundred fifty thousand dollars. that's insane and play come play for a whole night yeah exactly so ticket prices go up obviously it's just like it's one of those things where you know sometimes you know you put together a lineup and you announce it and then it goes out live on the internet and then you get like you get all these people just hate and it's (laughs) that's gonna be tough it sucks man like like, i'm literally pouring my heart and soul into this and you guys just throw you know a Twitter comment like you suck. Yeah, yeah. Your lineup sucks. You're terrible. Yeah, yeah. Like Halloween, man. We had um, we had what I thought was a great lineup. Um, it ended up 
it ended up being shy a hundred tickets of selling out. Mm-hmm. So it still did really well, but it was Halloween and Scream, Scream's, you know, 20 years in the making. Um, and uh, Rez, one of the hottest like bass acts right now, um, we had her headlining with a bunch of other acts as well. And we, we, were, we decided this year, you know what, spend a little less money on the acts and we're gonna put a lot more money into the production. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Um, but as soon as we announced the lineup, holy man, it was yeah. like, and I mean, I mean, it's at the point right now where, you know, I talk to other promoters and we're just like, unless you can throw together a really strong lineup that you know people are going to be floored by, you can't even do the event anymore. Right. It doesn't make any sense because yeah. uh, it's just like, you know, like we have dates that we normally do events and we don't even force ourselves to do it anymore because it's if I'd rather not do it than, than put together a lineup that's semi-mediocre mm-hmm. and people would just hate on it and then we'd end up, you know, getting 2,500, 3,000 people and, and losing our shirts yeah. on it, right? So, well, it's like you want to create scarcity, but when it's your business, like you don't want to all of a sudden, it's not like you can just say, okay, we're going to go drive for a year yeah. and totally starve the Edmonton market of these types of events so yeah. that when we do come back, they're just hungry for whatever we give them, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that exactly. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the solution is. <laughs> well, we just keep hammering away, and hopefully, you know, um, we can put together some strong lineups. So we have some pretty cool stuff coming up. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about it. So we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, we're gonna be doing Bomb Fest again this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was pretty successful last year. So. Yeah, I'm sad I missed that one after reading all about it. Like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Do you find it's a, it's a problem of like like getting the word out to people like I'm pretty close to your circle yeah. but I didn't really even know what was going on now granted I traveled a lot this summer for yeah. work so I wasn't in town a ton but like I, I didn't know about it until I started seeing like everybody's Instagram yeah. star being at this event and I'm like damn that looks like fun yeah I mean it's, it's pretty funny because you know that whole moratorium thing put a huge huge hold on the entire event yeah so we were um, we were ready to go and announce back in um, April mm-hmm and we were like, okay, we're good to go. We initially had planned to do it at uh, Tele... Oh, wait, no, it's not called Tele's Field anymore, is it? It's called... Um, well, the baseball stadium, anyways. The, ba- the one the, baseball the base, stadium. The one baseball that. stadium we yeah. have. Um, so we we initially were going to do it there. Uh, it, wait, it's it's called... Remax. Remax. Remax Field. Yeah. Remax Field. Okay, yeah. Got it. Okay, so we were initially were supposed to do it there. Um and they were they were super excited about it. And we were super excited about it. And um and then things kind of just fell apart and the city was like, uh yeah, you guys can't do it here. And um I'm glad they did. Um, I'm not gonna lie, after that weekend, um we looked back on it and we're like, Can you imagine if we did the festival at the baseball stadium? Because one, it had rained all week mm-hmm. and it's all grass there. Yeah. So we would have, it would have been mud and we would have tore that place up. Mm -hmm. Like we would have had to replace all the grass in there and that would have cost like tens of thousands of dollars, man. So we ended up, we ended up lucky out there and I'm glad, I'm glad we did. But all that talk and the moratorium and everything like that, not knowing whether or not we're going to be able to do an event, um, pushed everything back until about four weeks prior to the event and that's when we got to announce and we announced like four weeks out we started promoting our festival four weeks out and like that's not enough no, time no. to put together an outdoor festival yeah, no, how many not, tickets did you want to sell we wanted to sell um just over five thousand. yeah that's not enough time. yeah per day but did that did that press that negative press and 
And the threat of the moratorium, do you think that helped you in the end? Like generate publicity and no. promote the event? No. Because it didn't get talked about oh, very much. That's too bad. Not until the actual event happened. Yeah. Right? Because they're waiting for something bad to happen. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, we ended up, um, I mean, we ended up pushing hard for four weeks. And had we had like another month, we would have definitely got to 5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, we're starting way earlier. We're going for 7,500 people per day. And we're going to be starting pretty soon here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, four weeks to promote an outdoor festival, just not enough time. No. Otherwise you would have definitely heard about it. Had we had like half a year, right? I what mean, are you announcing the lineup, uh, lineup for this year? We're still working on it. Still so, working on yeah. it. Uh, there's a few events that have to come first. Yeah. Um, frequency has to come first. Mm-hmm. Everyone's waiting for that one right now. That's our 20 year anniversary. We've been around for, tw- we've been doing frequency for 20 years now man that's unbelievable and yeah. to look as young as you still do after being in this industry and all the asian jeans asian jeans so tomorrow you might look 100 but today you exactly. look 25 you know i look like this now but i guarantee you in like two years i'm gonna look like that old man off kill bill so, yeah. <laughs> dude you do some really cool stuff Vita, and i appreciate you taking the time uh to come and chat with me and, yeah. and hopefully spread a little bit of awareness of you know about this culture and and i mean I'm just such a big proponent of the city of Edmonton. So anyone else who's doing things that promote people getting out, enjoying the city, anything that can like build up to the reputation of this city is is huge. And I know you know you do a bunch of other things. You've got your how's agent going by the way? Agents on version two right now. Version We're two. just launching. I mean, I'm super excited about it. Um, there's so much work behind a startup. Um, we're like on year three or four now. You, what do you call yourself? You're the Airbnb of musical acts. Yeah, right? pretty yeah. much. Yeah, like you can go on the marketplace. We're look. We're starting. To, we're going to expand into other musicians right away here right now. But we started with, you know, you always start with what you know. Yeah. So we started with DJs, and um, and our, our whole goal this year was to revamp the platform to really accommodate organizers a little better mm-hmm. um, a lot of cool new tools sending out invoices stuff like that that DJs can use to to, to get their gigs paid for and um, yeah we're, we're, we're working on our expansion into Europe right now with our European partners and uh, just tons of stuff going on with that right now I checked out the website and I never seen anything like that like it's just so intuitive it's one of those it's one of those apps that you you start looking through and you're like well of course you should have that and of course you should have that yeah. and the ability to to read uh you know what each artist has in terms of equipment and yeah. what their travel radius is and all that like it was just like it made so much sense and to think i guess the best ideas kind of are the ones that you think how did this never exist before right, right. yeah and i mean it's it's going to be one of those things where you have to train people to use like it's like when people started using, you know, Airbnb or, or Uber, mm-hmm. it took a while for, for you to be like, what do you mean? I'm just going to have some random stranger come pick me up at my house. Yeah. It's like, you know, when I started using it, I was like, okay, well, it works great, right? But it, you have to get in that mindset. But I think that that Airbnb and Uber have really pay, paved the way for something yeah. like this now. Um, my biggest thing as like a, an event promoter was trying to find... You know, like right now, for for example, I'm trying to build a lineup for a, like two or three different festivals. Mm-hmm. And I have to send out dates to like 50 different agents that I work with. And I'm like, hey, so um, I'm wondering what you have available for this date, this date, and this date. And then he'll likely go back and copy and paste his entire roster and send it back to me versus actually like picking out the ones that are actually available that right. date. Of course, yeah. So he'll just copy and paste be like, ah, oh, then whatever, just pick something from my roster and we'll figure out. Yeah. Um, and that makes it difficult for me because then I'm sitting there like trying to send out offers for every single artist that 
might not be available. And you've got budget, you know, if you pay yeah. X number of dollars for this guy, then you've only got this much for this guy. Yeah. So you've got to balance all that. Yeah, exactly. I, I would love if I could pull up like a universal calendar for every single artist <laughs> out there. And it the would goal? be like, pardon me? Is yeah, that's the goal. goal. So that's the goal cool. the goal is like, I'm, I wanted a calendar that's gonna show me every single act out there that's available for one specific date right. in my market. Meaning that they're not touring through, um, they're not in Germany the day before or the day after, mm. even though there's like an available day between. Mm -hmm. It has to be smart enough to know that, you know, this person's touring um, right now in Europe yeah. and wouldn't be available to play Edmonton. But let's say there's an artist that's in, you know, um, Las Vegas the night before and then in LA the night before Las Vegas and then there's a date open and the next night they're playing San Francisco or something like that. Mm -hmm. That leaves an opportunity for an Edmonton play for yeah. that particular night. So it has to be smart in that sense, yeah. right? So that's the ultimate goal. What if the system was so intuitive that it was it was connected to the artist's personal calendar and it wouldn't recognize or see what they're, but if they had like my daughter's 10th birthday party yeah. on the Saturday between two shows, it would automatically block them out even though it wouldn't show, it would be like personal day or yeah like yeah like yeah that. so you can set personal days right now on it and, uh, um we're building a, a bands in town integration right now so the api is going to be ready pretty soon here i'm hoping mm -hmm. and uh what what that's going to do is like once they log in and they, they they connect their bands in town account which is a, a lot of artists right now have bands in town integrated like a lot of them are using bands in town um they just update their bands in town and automatically update on their agent profile exactly gotcha. when they're available. Yeah. And then like if you're an organizer and you're looking for someone on a specific date, it'll be able to filter out, okay, so bands in town is telling me that they're in Calgary, blah, 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 this date, and then there's an open sp space. So, so you can definitely, they would recommend that you book that artist right. for that date. Wow. Based on it's your budget. It's, yeah, it's cool to see how technology is improving you know, people's industries like yeah. yours and um, and making, you know, the the whole process of, of this for bands and for organizers yeah. easier. So I'm definitely gonna link people to that because yeah. even if they don't plan to book anyone, I think it's really interesting to go look at that system. Yeah. And, uh, you know. I, I, I mean, agent right now is really great for people that don't have a real connection with, uh, with anyone that's like a DJ or anything like that. Like, for example, we have like a lot of fitness studios and and um and like stores like roots canada stuff corporate accounts that really um you know they just want someone playing in their store for like 500 bucks a gig or something or in yeah. their studio for 500 bucks yeah. a gig then they don't want to deal with you know, they don't know who to book they don't know what to do so they go on the app they book an artist they show up plays get paid and move, move yeah. on that's it and it's it's it gives validation and it gives it gives the ability to kind of vet who you're hiring instead of going to like the youngest guy at the corporate company and being like hey do you have any buddies who are djs yeah, it's yeah. like no i can see like the reviews and and their reliability yeah. and all that stuff so and especially in this industry like every Everybody's a DJ now. You could be a DJ. You have an app on your phone, and but but you're not. It doesn't mean you're a good DJ. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but everyone thinks they're a DJ what now. What makes a good DJ? Man, just <laughs> you got to read the crowd. Good selection of music. Obviously, some technical, mi some mixing in there, right? Yeah. So, really depends what you're playing to. Like, if you're in, if you're if you're a wedding, you could be a great wedding DJ. Mm -hmm. Like, I would be a terrible wedding DJ. I'd be playing music that no one would know. <laughs> right, right. Wedding, you've got to have a good balance of stuff that people know and yeah, know, right. Yeah, exactly. Or you could be an open format DJ. You could be in the pub playing, you know, something that that fits everyone. So, a good DJ really is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. How often do you get behind the table still? 
Uh, I, I don't that often. I mean, I'll play gigs with my friends here and there. I just have fun with it, though. If I was to DJ seriously, I'd just play Tech Mill and Tech House, which, which, um, which for me is like, you know, I, I love the music. But uh, when I play with my friends now, if we're hopping on at a bar or something, we'll just goof around and play. You guys, when you come to local, are like the most fun. Those are my favorite days to work. <laughs> yeah. I remember Canada Day. I worked... 12 hours straight that day. Yeah, I was busy. I started at 10 a.m. And at 10 p.m. finally, Harley was like, dude, you got to get out of here. You can't work more than yeah. 12 hours. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good for sure. That was fun. And then how's Champs going? Champs, uh, thanks for your your class last week. That was fun. Champs is unreal, man. Like um, in my, like in, with what I do, you need to have that mental break in your day. Mm -hmm. And Champs is that mental break for me. Like you can't always be thinking like work 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 mm -hmm. all the time and that's my that's one of my issues it's like i just i'm constantly going on about work um and uh, i find it hard to really shut myself off sometimes mm -hmm. even at night but um when you go like when you do things like snowboarding like for me snowboarding is one of those, those things i do to really shut off um or like boxing um Man, it's just, it's so helpful to just take your mind off of things. It's funny that you think of like those classes as shutting off because that's like not an easy class. That's a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of movement, sweat's pouring down, your heart rate's jacked. Like, right, but what are you thinking about when you're in there? I'm trying not to fuck up the combination, <laughs> right? Like, right, you're not I, thinking about anything else. Anything yeah, else. It keeps your brain yeah. I I would have it and I'd be like, all right, three, five, six, one. Yeah, yeah. And then Jelena would walk by and I'd be like, fuck, Chad's <laughs> watching me. I fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah, dude it's fun it's, you get to meet a lot of cool people too and it's music yeah like a lot of it's oh, music for sure. and like for me it's like it works really well with uh, what I do I, I listen to tons of music I love I'm not a great DJ so <laughs> so I still get to play music and and, and uh, I, I play techno in my classes sometimes and people love it so are you are you known as the hardest coach there most I've been told classes? that yeah. I've been told that but uh, but uh, yeah, just, you have to come see, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, Andy. Yeah. Well, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll link everyone to uh, to Budang, to Agent, to Champs, yeah. uh, to your personal Instagram and Twitter. Sure. If Are you private or are you you want followers? I'm private, but if, I mean, I'm private for certain reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I'll link it and then I'll let you be the filter there. But again, thanks for joining me, man. Mm. Thanks, brother. All right. We'll see you next time. Huge thanks to Viet for coming on the show. Had a blast chatting with you, man. Uh, thanks to everyone listening. Don't forget, hit me up for who you might want to hear on the City of Champions podcast or perhaps some other iteration not limited to our city of Edmonton. One final shout out to Shaw Business who sponsored this episode. Shaw Business offers a whole suite of smart solutions to help power the entrepreneur. They offer things like smart Wi-Fi, smart surveillance, smart security, and many other super useful, super smart tools from Shaw Business to keep your systems up and running so you can focus on what's important. To learn more, visit shawbusiness.ca. We'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for tuning in.